Welcome to The Meg Robinson Show, exploring the stories that make us who we are. I'm your host, Meg Robinson. This is the final segment of the series, Diary of an FBI Agent. And now, part four, unraveling the mystery of the Oklahoma City bombing. When you, we, we talk about the Oklahoma City bombing, I mean, and and my uh, when you know just the mention of it, my mind is flooded with with so many things, and 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 there's the the, the memories and and even the the smells of that day and the the sights and sounds. Um, but what's kind of what's interesting about it when we look at it and in, in perspective with uh, what with Waco and we just finished talking about that that day in Waco April the 19th in 1993 when that compound was engulfed in flames and the people died inside that compound and so that that standoff came to a fiery end April the 19th in 1995 was the Oklahoma City bombing uh, at the AP uh, Murrah Federal Building, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Timothy McVeigh was arrested for um, driving a rider truck in front of the building and 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 detonating the explosives that were contained therein, taking 168 innocent lives. That we later learned, and I say we agents um, that we were that were down at uh, at Waco. Uh, that Timothy McVeigh was actually at Waco, mm-hmm. and and now and 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 it's in my mind's eye, and I don't know if if I've conjured up this image or if it's real, but every day we'd we'd when we we're off shift, we'd we'd come back and go through the the media gauntlet because there was like two thousand at Waco me- at Waco, mm-hmm. like two thousand media folks, all these trucks, and we'd go by where there were the. On the side of the road there, there were T-shirt vendors and they're selling bumper stickers and this and that. And in my mind's eye, I can actually see Timothy McVeigh there because um, the, the when and I was one of the first guys in Oklahoma City FBI agents to put eyes on him. And so and and, and whether that's somehow got conjured up in my mind or not, I, I'm not 100 percent certain, but I believe I saw him there because he was there. He was there. He as was. I read. He was there and. He too is a person that was seeking identity, mm-hmm. and he found his identity in uh, the the propagandist material that is contained in the Turner Diaries, mm-hmm. and written by a neo-Nazi. And he, um, after um, being in the Gulf War, and and he started embracing those ideas and those thoughts mm-hmm. and that racist mentality and that white supremacist mentality. And and to the point where then that started becoming his identity, and he too suffered. Uh, uh, his childhood was difficult. His his mother and father were divorced, I believe, when he was about eight years old, mm-hmm. and so there thereafter he's seeking identity, and and that's one of the things that's so important to uh, to parents and and those of us responsible for for raising. Um, our children in a, in a way that we're able to give them an identity, give them that identity so that they're not out there with 
the folks that are seeking, searching, trying to find purpose and meaning and, and trying to determine who they really are. Because oftentimes those are the folks that end up in these situations mm-hmm. that uh, the Timothy McVeighs and the David Koreshes and so on. So April the... Uh, for me, April the 19th of 1993 and April the 19th of 1995, the, the day of the Oklahoma City bombing are, I mean, clearly for me, they're inextricably linked uh, because I was at both of those events. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly enough, I didn't really recognize um, kind of early on uh, what what was going on with me um, in the weeks leading up to April the 19th. And I would start getting kind of edgy, start getting um, um, it, it kind of even hard to describe, but it was there was this feeling and there was this something going on with me where, and I didn't recognize it early on that that's what it was. And, and finally, it was after a couple of years that I realized that as April the 19th approaches that, you know, my subconscious, my, my whatever that whatever that maybe the instinct that we talked about earlier and that and the intuition thing that, that starts awakening and it starts those things start kind of coming back are uh, you are you saying that that it, it, what you just described um has been happening uh after waco and oklahoma and and the oklahoma city bombing that 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 those that date is imprinted right. in you emotionally it is, and and it was, and it, and it was. I mean, it's kind of odd because you think, well, how obvious would that be that you'd recognize if, but it, but I didn't recognize it, and and it wasn't for a, a number of years after 1995 that I finally did recognize that 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 as those as that date approaches, that um, that something is going on with me. So you were working in Oklahoma City at the time of the bombing. How did you first realize what was going on? I heard it, and I was preparing to go to Albuquerque. I was an FBI recruiter at the time, and I was getting ready to go to Albuquerque, and I and and I was like 15 miles away, mm-hmm. and I heard it and I felt it. Well, I thought it was a sonic boom, but we don't hear those anymore. And even though this was 1995, it still was um, wasn't something that was usual or normal. So I went back and I was turned on TV. And right away they had a uh, uh, one of those fixed cameras at a news station that was looking towards the downtown. And you see this huge plume of black smoke. And so there's been a huge um, explosion at the federal building. Well, it's kind of like right back to the Waco thing where, okay, I got to get on my way. I got to, what going through that quickly, going through a checklist of what things I might need. You didn't do your laundry, did you? Didn't do my laundry, okay. uh, but I did. I recognized that there were things I might need to have, mm-hmm. uh, but I was. But but again, I thought, well, maybe it's just a it's a gas explosion. It's whatever. So I get down there, and I'm, I'm running down the street, and I see the Journal Record Building, and I think, oh, they're wrong. It wasn't the Federal Building. It's at the Journal Record Building, because I see all the damage that was done there, and then I came around a corner and I saw it. The federal building and the cars over here on the right were still in flames and black smoke billowing from that and and the smoke coming from the building and the debris. What went through your mind? Interestingly enough, I um, 
a day or so later, I wrote notes and then I put them away in a box and I didn't ever look at them again until only a few years ago. And, um, and I, I wrote a lot of the things that I was thinking. Um, but one of the things that was, that was, it, it seemed so unreal that there was, cause some people got angry and they were very angry when they saw it and they were there and they were angry at whoever might've done this. Um, it was so unreal that, that I wasn't angry and I didn't really have, um, a, a lot of feeling because it just didn't seem real. It's like kind of hard to digest all of it. And so I go down to the front of the building and, and our SWAT team leader is there. The, the same guy that was at Waco with us as a SWAT team leader. And he's standing by the big crater where the, the, the truck had exploded. Mm -hmm. And by then they were already finding uh, pieces and figuring out that it was, that it was a rider truck. And I mean, it was amazing how quickly this came together. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, go around to the backside of the building and make sure that they still don't need somebody to help look for survivors. So I went around to the backside of the federal building and there was a, a DEA agent and I, and I'd recognized him and he was, um, um, teared up. He was very emotional and he says, well, we saw people in there. What, what I said, well, let's just go in there and we'll find them. What time of day did the bomb, the bomb, um, the, the bomb went off at nine Oh two on April the 19th. And so now by, after having gotten down there and so on and so forth, I'm, it's probably like nine twenty or something like that. And then I'm going into the building looking for survivors. And there was a, then some, a U.S. Marshal said, well, um, and, he, and he named this guy as an ATF agent. He's trapped on the ninth floor, and he's uh, got a sign in the, in, the, in the window. So I worked my way up. Well, the DEA agent that was there, I don't know what happened to him because he wasn't with me. But then I'm thinking, well, is there, is there natural gas pipes that are still blowing gas in here? Is there... A, you know, there's electricity still on. Am I going to get shocked by wires? Am I going to, so you're trying to figure that part out, but at the same time you're going through and I'm, I'm hollering for people. I mean, if, is anybody here? Is anybody in here? And there's like in one room there, those huge, um, um, files, uh, you know, that they're electronic and they move back and open up mm -hmm. and, and they're on rollers and those are tipped over. And I'm, so I'm trying to look in there to see if anybody's underneath those. What things. floor are you on now? Well, I'm working my way up. So now I'm like on a third floor and you're looking at desks and blood trails and, and you know, yeah. and right there where the building had been blown away. But it was it was kind of interesting because there's a desk that's right there by where this happened and it's almost like it's all intact, right? That somebody was just sitting there and all of a sudden the floor is gone. So I'm working my way up and I get up to the ninth floor where this um, ATF um, agent was trapped and then they start, then this people start yelling, get out of the building, get out of the building, get out of the building. They found the secondary device. So everybody's thinking this thing's going to, there's going to be another explosion. So I'm hustling down the stairs and there's a structural glass. It's just big structural glass is very thick and there's big thick pieces of glass that are on the stairway and um, there was a, a, a female officer at Oklahoma City Police Department she had slipped on that and was she was down um, ankle or leg something I'd slipped on it fallen and landed on my back um, but I, I got up and then 
um, myself and a couple of U.S. Marshals carried her out. And then it was like a movie. Everybody's running. Everybody's running. You don't know which way to run or you know what's going on kind of because people had heard this all you're hearing is there's a, the a secondary explosives and i see this there's a woman in a car um not far from and it's actually in the the, the street that ran adjacent to the to where the federal building was she's panic-stricken and she's in the car screaming and i told i, I went up and i stopped and i said calm down I was trying to talk to her as calm as I could. And I said, now, here's what I need you to do is you're going to have to put it in reverse. Be really, really careful and back up very slowly and then go down that alley. So she's panic stricken, but she's listening to me. And I'm walking her through it. She gets it in reverse. She backs up. She goes down the alley and drives off. I take off running. Well, if probably a couple blocks away, I run into a, an FBI agent, one of my friends, and he's all teared up. And I said, what's, what's going on? He said, um, I left a woman in the building and she's alive. And I said, well, we got to go back. So he and I took off running back to the building while everybody else was running away. And um, then I ran into some some of my four uh, friends of mine who were Oklahoma City police officers. They said, what are you guys doing? You're going the wrong way. We said, well, there's, there's still a woman alive in the building. And so then they said, okay, we're with you. So now it's um, this other agent, myself, and these four cops, and we go up. We stand there for a minute, wondering what to do, and finally we said, well, we gotta go in, so we went in, and and it was in the area that they called the pit, and the pit was, if you can imagine, those the floors from the top pancaked down, and mm -hmm. just the next floor, they took that down and took it down, and that left that, um, that kind of that crescent shape right in the middle of the federal building, where and then everything piled down at the bottom. And down there at the bottom is what they call the pit, and that's where the children from the daycare mm -hmm. that had died in a building were, and and basically the, the vast majority of everybody that died in a building, they were there in that particular place. And the agent took us back, and we had to crawl down from the second floor to in between the first floor and the second floor in the rubble, and we found... Um, um, this woman and she'd worked in a credit union and she was buried in tons of rubble how she was alive who knows and and all we had was just our hands and so we're trying to start digging stuff out and and there are five and, of you right yeah and yeah. but it's just room because there was a slant and and where concrete had fallen so there was just room for two right so it was myself and this other agent and the and one of the officers and the other three were up above so we could hand stuff up to them to get it, mm -hmm. give us some room to work. And it was during that time that I heard um, a moaning. And so I asked uh, the, the woman who was in the, buried in the, the rubble, I said, who was near you when this happened? Mm -hmm. And she said, um, Robin, and she's pregnant. And so then I started saying, Robin, I said, I mean, we're here. Keep making noise so I can find you. Help me find you. I'm, I'm just hang on. I'm going to find you. And during that time, then there was no more. 
and we went back to trying to dig Amy out and we're digging and digging and um so Robin had died yeah and I didn't know that until um I mean I thought maybe because there was one other woman that was down below and she's uh the the, the one who had that amputator that the surgeon was down there and amputated her leg to get her out and I thought well maybe that was maybe that was her um but it turns out I later learned that 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 it, that's it was Robin and basically she died under almost underneath my feet um so but when I was looking for I mean that's when you know there it, it was just it was horrific absolutely um and utterly horrific in there and the thing that because this is before you have a cell phone you carry around in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And the the thing, and, and we could still feel the building moving. I mean, the building still, because it's, you know, it's, it's so big and the impact was so great that the, the, the building was still moving. And at that moment, all I wanted to be able to do was just tell my kids one more time that I loved them. Did you not think you were going to make it? I wasn't sure that we'd come out of there. And you still thought there might be another bomb, right? Well, what it, we at one point we and I can't remember exactly how uh, we we learned it, but that it was uh, that, that it was an ATF training device that they found. It was an inert okay. device, and it was a, and I don't know whether it was even whether it was when we're in there or later on. Um, so, what floor are you on when you're thinking that you want to tell your family you love them we were in between the first and the second floor in the rubble Mm -hmm. and i thought that this thing's going to just come down on us and that's it so we just but we just kept digging and talking to amy and and uh and uh and and she had a um an amazing strength uh because could you imagine being buried in i mean just that Couldn't. Just thinking about that, that what it would, I mean, almost make you crazy um, trying to think about, we want to get out of here. And she was just, she was talking to us. And um, then somehow the conversation came up about cookies. And she said, well, one of these days after this is all over with, I'm going to bake you guys some chocolate chip cookies. And, um, and so we, so we talked and, and, and Doug trying to get her out. Well, finally, uh, it was like several hours later that they allowed the fire department back in because they wouldn't let them back in because of the the, the building still moving and that the that they didn't realize you know they didn't want to send their people in until they they knew that it was stable enough that people aren't going to get buried in there. And so several hours later, um, I'm not even sure how many hours later they they let the fire department in. Then they were able to come in with the right equipment to to be able to start working to really get her out of there so she still wasn't out when we left Hmm. and then we left and and then we went to the command post and then then we started investigating and i say we those that the the the, um, the guy that was with me and down in there and then we hooked up with other agents and we all went over to the command post and we got assignments and we went to work Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until, uh, and there was a point where 
I suggested, and you can imagine when a, a command post of that size is starting to ramp up, there's so much going on. And one of the things I learned working bank robberies that that there's and, and that I always recognized was there's video cameras around. Sure. So that we need to go around, we need to get the video feed from all the cameras in the whole area. Well, I kept saying it, but nobody was really listening because everybody was doing what they had to be doing. So I grab another guy and I say, hey, let's go and we'll start in the, at the building and work our way around in a big circle. And we ended up gathering up videotapes. And it turned out, we learned later that, because um, I had to fly back to Washington, D.C., that one of the videotapes actually had the Ryder truck on it. Really? And that's kind of a story into itself. But so so now things are, are all in the investigative. But it was... It was kind of interesting because I'm, now I got these tapes and I'm going around trying to tell people, hey, we need to get a time-lapse recorder. These are evidence. We've got to be very careful. We have to have an expert to, to, you know, to, so nothing gets erased, da-da-da-da. Well, once again, nobody's really listening. And so... Again, communication. Yeah. So about, uh, I don't think it was 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, I finally said, heck, i gotta, I got to go sleep. So I, I locked up the evidence in the, in the trunk of my car, took the car home, locked it in the garage... And I went in and I went to sleep. Well, at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, I'm getting a call, and they're like, "Hey, was it you that had the tapes?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah." Um, well, you need a red light and siren it down to the airport, and there's a there's a uh, FBI there, there there's a saber liner sitting down there, aircraft, and hand it over to the FBI agent who's flying it, and they're taking them back to headquarters. I'm headquarters like, in D.C. In D.C. Yeah. So I get dressed, I fly down there, <laughs> red light and siren, I hand over the tapes and everything to this guy. And it was kind of funny because I see him later, I see him at the command post. I'm like, do you already went to D.C. and you're back? He goes, oh, no, I haven't left yet. He said, It'll be, I won't fly out here for another hour. So I'm thinking, why did, I, to, yeah, <laughs> why did I get to sleep a little bit? Anyway, but, but as things are moving now, that, so this is the 20th. Mm-hmm. And McVeigh was stopped the day of the bombing uh, by uh, an Oklahoma City, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, an, an Oklahoma State uh, trooper uh, the, of the Highway Patrol sees McVeigh heading north in his yellow uh, Mercury, and there's no license plate on the back. The, the officer, Charlie Hanger, pulls him over. And, and he, the guy's acting weird, and he sees that he's got a he's got a um, shoulder holster with a firearm in it, so he gets arrested. McVeigh hauled over to to Noble County, but no one knows yet. No one he, knows that he's yeah. a he's the guy. So they take him over to uh, to Perry, Oklahoma, and that's at the seat of Noble County, and put him lock him up at the at the the jail there, based on this this firearm charge. And so when I'm in the command post on the 20th, I see these names that are up on a, on a, on a board, and I say, well, what's with those names? They said, those are people that are surfacing as suspects. I said, has anybody run, and, and there's a particular um, that's not really well known to, to um, a lot of folks, a particular way to use NCIC, and... But it was something that I'd used ex- extensively. And define work NCIC. That I, the, the, it's a, the National Crime Information Center, and that's where all the, like if you get pulled over, the, the police officers say, okay, 
I've got Meg Robinson pulled over, date of birth, da 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 da, social security number. Is she wanted? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is, you know, check. I'd like to be wanted, but only by my <laughs> husband. But anyway. So. Yeah. Uh, but there's a particular way to use it uh, mm-hmm. that it's it's not widely known even in law enforcement circles so i asked if that had been done and nobody was able to answer up so i called back to and i had a had a guy there that i knew because i'd used this extensively in in fugitives and bank robberies and different investigations Mm -hmm. so i called back and asked the guy to, to do this for me and the next morning just before i got in um a supervisor came out and said and did somebody run this yesterday and if they did um we got a result and it looks like mcveigh might be up in in uh, noble county jail or is getting ready to release the guy how did they connect that to to the to the investigation for the bombing so they had he mcveigh had surfaced as a suspect oh he was okay he was already a suspect and there were names that were on this this uh this whiteboard and it was mcveigh and one of his aliases was Kling and Terry Nichols and a couple of other names that were had surfaced as suspects. Now we're talking this is only uh, this one is a day, day two, yeah, yeah, and day two. Mm-hmm. Well, where this whole thing that um, developed from is the the axle it blew off of that rider truck and it went flying down the street and landed right in front of the Regency Towers. And one of uh, 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 an Oklahoma City police officer and, a, and an agent found the VIN number on the, the, the vehicle identification number on that axle. They immediately, I mean, this is all like within hours of the bombing, realize that it's a rider truck and that it's registered to here. They get in touch with the rider truck. They find out where this truck was last and then they, and so it started from there. And, and they tied it to McVeigh. Tied it to McVeigh. And mm-hmm. that ended up creating him as a suspect. I run the, the check and find him in Noble County. So I had already, I talked to the SAC and said, boss, I said, I'm going to be your, your guy. So when you need something, so I'm not going to, I don't want to be um, tied to a phone or doing something like covering leads all the time. I'll I'll be here for when you need me to do and something. And what's SAC? A special agent in charge. Mm-hmm. That was um, our boss. Okay. And so that was kind of what I was uh, doing. So I found, a, a, and this all sounds kind of crazy because you'd think it'd be much more regimented, but I found a helicopter, and it was a, a customs helicopter. And I said, guys, I'm going to be, um, you know, the, the boss's guy. So if something happens, I'm, and if I need a helicopter, what are you guys assigned to, or what are you doing? I said, well, we're just sitting here. I said, okay, then uh, then you'll fly me if something happens. Oh, absolutely. So then when we found McVeigh up at Noble County, I race over to tell the boss I'm heading up there. And he goes, okay, get up there. And, and get how far situ- is that from Oklahoma City? You know what? I can't really remember now, but it's like maybe 40, 50 miles, or mm-hmm. maybe, even, maybe even a little farther than that. So I run over to the customs helicopter. I'm like, okay, guys, we got to let's, let's go. And they're like, ah, we need to go get fuel. We got to go. I'm like, what? You guys are, you haven't got this thing. So then I found another helicopter, a DEA helicopter. And it was just, um, and I talked to the pilot and say, you know, fly me up there. So away we went. You didn't I, try to fly it yourself. No, I didn't. Un- unlike <laughs> the, the Bradley, okay. No, I didn't try to, tank, try to, okay. I, I, uh, I was very happy for the ride. And I, and, and I was, and what I was used to is, 
all of the FBI pilots that flew our helicopters and airplanes, most of them were all Vietnam veterans. So mm -hmm. incredibly talented um, pilots. So I'm talking to this guy as we're flying up, and he's like, oh, yeah, I went to the Acme School of Helicopter <laughs> Piloting. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So when we get up there, we're flying in a circle mm -hmm. because there was supposed to be a, a deputy that was going to meet us and show us where to land the helicopter. Don't see it. Finally, we just pick a place and we landed in town there. And, and a deputy came and got us and took us over to the. But as we're flying in a circle, then and agents came up in another uh, helicopter and they landed out on a freeway where the car was, McVeigh's car, and they were processing that. There was a just so happened a news crew was heading south and they see this helicopter, a bunch of FBI guys, they see this other helicopter over Perry flying in a circle and then land. They figure something's going on, so they head over there. To where you were. To where I was. Yeah. And first thing I did is I went up and I looked at McVeigh and saw the cell that he was in and then kind of got an idea of what was going on there. He and I look at each other for a second. I go and back. And you're, you're the first FBI guy. Up there. Up there to see him. And so I go yeah. back downstairs and I tell the sheriff, I said, Sheriff, um, you know, we're going to need to find an interview room here. We're going to have agents that will be coming up. And, and so we need to start figuring this out. Well, then here comes the press coming down the hallway. They got a camera thing going. So I go out and I tell them, you know, you need to get out of here uh, right now. FBI, move along. So they take off. But they, okay, FBI's in here. FBI's out on the freeway. They're sure that this has obviously something to do with the bombing. Next thing, the press is, uh, the media is calling the the sheriff's department, and uh, this, and I'm right there, and the secretary's answering the phone. She goes, "Well, I don't know. There's an FBI guy right here. Why don't you talk to him?" It's like, <laughs> and so I tell the sheriff, I said, "Sheriff, yeah. if they're calling, they're coming, and you need to get, all, you know, any deputy that you have, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever you can get, and get crime scene tape wrapped around all the big trees that circle this courthouse, and and rope it off." create a, and designate using the crime scene tape a media location for media to go. If they get outside of that, then you need to let them know they'll be arrested. Seal off the courthouse so that nobody can come wandering in here. And he says... Would he know that? No. He... Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a you know, as sheriff of kind of like, of a kind of a lazy county kind of thing, a rural county that's, and I shouldn't say lazy, it's not lazy, but a rural county where there's not a lot. Mm -hmm. So, and he goes, son, he said, you really think I need to do it? I said, Sheriff, I, I can't tell you what to do, but I will say if it was me, that's what I would do. And it was funny because I had to go back up there uh, a, a day or two later, and he says, son, he said, you saved my bacon. <laughs> And went, exactly. so I got back in the helicopter and was flying and flew back to Oklahoma City because I got the booking photographs and and I had them to take back to put into a photo spread that they could start showing right away. So did you talk to McVeigh? Nope. No. nope, not a word. I just We exchanged looks and it was kind of like he knew and I knew, um, sort of. I think he probably knew that I, was, that I wasn't the sheriff or a deputy or, or whatever, and yeah, it was a it was a one of those moments in time that I'll never forget. I bet. Yeah, 
and and a very uh, and and over my career there were probably um, that I can count on both hands um, moments of surreal, mm-hmm. and that was one of them. And so I, f- I flew back to get those photographs back. Um, but it w- yeah, that, that whole thing too was when you, when you look at these situations on the, uh, and, and as everybody is coming together on the front end of this, there were construction workers that were bringing their steel-toed boots down there to, to the rescuers could use them. They were, there was a, a guy came down with his wheelbarrow and his shovel. He was a construction worker and, you know, handed it over so people would have it, have those things to use. There was, people were bringing meals, and I mean, it was, everybody is together, everybody is of single mind and single purpose. But then gradually as the days go by and time goes by, then those things, then they start splinter once again. And it, and it all then, How it, so? it all attributes to, back to the communication, because then you have uh, survivors who, um, Maybe they feel like they're they're and maybe they are mistreated or or not given enough information about their loved one or maybe their their loved one is is buried in a building and they're then they start getting angry about um, and understandably so That's and true. next thing they're talking to the media that and that the FBI is not doing this or that somebody's not doing that and then pretty soon the conspiracy theorists are starting to come out of the woodwork and then it's a conspiracy theory and that. The FBI blew it up, or that's—I mean, it just—it just that that initial kind of honeymoon phase of 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 a of a huge operation like that. Although that's probably not a, a way to characterize it because of the, the the 168 people that lost their lives there. But when you look at it, there's a, when everybody comes together, single purpose, single mind. But then gradually, if that when that communication part wears off, then things get more difficult. So you leave Timothy McVeigh. You you lay eyes on him. And what is your role from that point? Well, mine was to get those photographs back, mm-hmm. and then after that, then I then started covering leads again. I was out, you know, so and so said that they saw something, or so and so said that they sold ammonium nitrate or so-and-so thinks they saw something. And everybody, I mean, it's amazing how many people see something and they believe it's with absolute clarity. This is, the you know, one of the biggest investigations undertaken in, in the U.S. in terms of the number of leads covered and the, and the number of, of pieces of evidence recovered. And this thing is, is, is huge, and every stone has to be turned. So I know that McVeigh was eventually executed in 2001 for the bombing. But for you personally, how did the story conclude? Well, Janet Reno came out, and 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 typically when the attorney general came, and I, I for some reason, I was, because I was on a SWAT team, and I was always selected to be on the, the team that would... Um, work security for the attorney general so this was uh at the year at the the year memorial it had been a year and um and i'm standing to and we're down at the civic center and, and the attorney general janet reno is as as uh, 
greeting um, survivors. This is um, in Oklahoma City. This is in Oklahoma okay. City, and it's it's uh, um, downtown Oklahoma City, and and uh, uh, a big building there, and I can't even remember which building it was, but it was it was big. And so there's a whole line of uh, survivors and family members, and 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 family members of those that that died in a building, and she's greeting them all, and and she was she was she was a she was a wonderful lady. I mean, I spent some time with her um, on a number of occasions, and just a very very sincere good person she was. So she's and tall, very tall. Yeah. And so she's standing there, and, and I'm on one side, and another agent's on the other side, and the and the people are coming up, and. Um, after uh, a couple days after the bombing, I went to Amy's hospital room to Amy, see her. Amy, the cookie, cookie lady. Cookie yeah. lady. I went to see her, and and I she was still medicated and all kinds of stuff. So I wrote a note on something and I gave it to her husband. And they're coming down the the, the line, and as they're getting closer, I see I see her, and and he's pointing at me, uh, pointing me out to her. And she's getting ready to go up to the attorney general to shake the attorney general's hand. Amy is. Amy is. And yeah. she just turned that quick and just grabbed me and started crying. Oh. And then I started crying. Oh. And we're both standing there crying. And the attorney general's looking at this thing. And later I told uh, um, Attorney General Reno, I said, you know, I said, it's probably a, um, a probably rare instance that your FBI security detail is a crybaby. Yeah. I said, and she goes, no, 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 I understand. I'm sure and everybody was totally moved. So I, and then I got to see Amy, and that was the first time I'd seen her um, since uh, basic. So for me, that that was the kind that of the the, the day that that you know that that came to a close in my mind. Even though um, after. Um, and and I was on the the uh, the list to be uh, to testify up in mm-hmm. in the, in, the, in the trial in Denver, so I had a, I had to fly up there for that. It, um, but that that moment with the attorney general and with with Amy was the the point that I closed that chapter. Do you believe in evil? So it's it's interesting the, uh, the question about um, evil. When I was going through the FBI Academy and I thought that I would be um, chasing down fugitives who had murdered people, I'd be chasing down um, even child molesters, bank robbers, kidnappers, um, you automatically believe then in in the evil of certain human beings, that these are evil people. And it, and it was interesting, the first time that I arrested, my very first arrest, I realized that, and this guy was actually, it was a, uh, um, it was a very minor crime in the scheme of things. He was on a military insulation, had written a check, and he was basically just trying to get Christmas presents for his kids. And as I was investigating these guys that robbed banks, you know, you think that there's this evil person. In reality, they're... they're most of the time they're drug addicts and they're just trying to get some money to be able to get another drug fix and they're not really don't they don't think they're really hurting anybody but there are there are dangerous people who you know they take guns in they point guns but once once you've arrested them and you realize it's just another human being they're somebody else's child 
And when and and it's and it's interesting. I actually had a bank robber name his child after me. So <laughs> you I, had a bank I, robber at whole another story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's um, when I arrested people. I mean, first of all, you you know you it's the arrest is uh, typically it's it's a very dangerous moment, and you have to take all precautions, and you have to. Uh, make sure that you execute that arrest with professionalism and 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 make sure that you don't get hurt they don't get hurt uh, or uh, particularly that you don't get hurt or your colleagues get hurt once that's over with though then you realize that most times you're just dealing with a person it's there's they're they're seeking their identity they're they they had all these issues as as a child they had there's always something, there's always a backstory that doesn't necessarily relate to evil. But there were two people that I arrested that when I looked them in the eye, and I always just say that there's like shark eyes, those two people were evil. And you could see it, you could feel it, and there was there was there's no redeeming qualities whatsoever in these in these two people. Out of, I arrested a lot of people. I've arrested hundreds of people, and these two stand out in my mind. I can still see both their faces, and they were faces of evil. After 18 years of service to the FBI, Walter Lamar resigned from the agency and went on to do significant work in law enforcement, security protocols, and representing the interests of Native Americans who were owed money by the federal government. Remember the dream Walter shared with his babysitter, Winnie Big Road, when he was a child living on a reservation. He hears voices from the mountains. Winnie says they are the grandfathers calling him, that he will have a special gift, and that something will be a bit different about him. Walter Lamar never forgot Winnie's words, perhaps inspiring him through every step of his journey. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email if you have any ideas thoughts, or feedback, I read them all. That's hello at themegrobinsonshow.com. Hope you'll tune in next time for more of the stories that make us who we are. I'm Meg Robinson.